Leviticus in the Old Testament. Um, now, if you're a, if you're a, a Christian, um, if you would already call yourself a, a follower of, of Jesus, this may be a book that you haven't read much, or you've started a lot, but not made it very far. There's a lot of confusing uh, laws and uh, talk about uh, sacrifices and things that you may wonder, what in the world does this have to do with me now? And so you skip on maybe to Deuteronomy or maybe to, to Joshua, where it picks back up on some, some narrative. But to read laws like this is very confusing and can be overwhelming. Uh, maybe if, you're, if you wouldn't consider yourself uh, a follower of Jesus, you're just exploring and, and checking out uh, what Christianity is is about, um, or maybe you've uh, you've ventured into the church before, but you've you've have some some issues and questions about God and his his character. Uh, Leviticus might be a source of great confusion and questions as well. Uh, maybe you've heard of some of the the laws in Leviticus and the calls for uh, for death for the penalty for certain. Uh, breaking certain laws, or God's requirement of blood to be shed and animals sacrificed uh, before Him. What is this all about? Um, how is this consistent with the, the God that you, you talk about in the, the New Testament? Or maybe you're thinking uh, a God of grace. Or maybe you're thinking, well, this really fits right in line with what I hear Christians saying a lot, because they speak a lot about God being a God of, of wrath and anger, and retribution. Who is this God? What place does Leviticus have in this unfolding story of redemption? Well, over the next several, several weeks, many to be uh, more accurate, we're going to journey our way through Leviticus and try to see what place it has for God's people and what it reveals about Him. Uh, so, uh, if you want to go ahead and, and turn there, we'll be in chapter 1 this morning. If you want to follow along in one of those black Bibles in your, in your seats, you'll find this on page 81. Um, we'll be in chapter 1. Um, back in the, uh, in the late 1800s, um, a new technology was uh, spreading throughout uh, America, electricity. Um, it was beginning to light up uh, homes, and people were finding all sorts of new uses for it, uh, one of which uh, was uh, transportation. Um, the days of, uh, of horses pulling trolleys in the street or, or cars uh, down uh, the the, the streets of, of big cities, um, things are getting congested and obviously really messy uh, from all these horses being around. And some people had a great idea of using electricity to bring them right into neighborhoods, to bring them into the center of where people were living, to bring this, this good and new technology as a way to, to benefit and see uh, uh, improvement happening to their, to their life and their community. Well, not everybody saw this as a benefit. Uh, they'd seen electricity different places before, and what they knew was sparks, 
loud noises, heard rumors of people dying if they got close to it or touched it. Uh, Some people were afraid of the effect that it would have on them and their stuff. For a long time, one of the fears was, uh, especially with with, uh, electric cable cars and electric uh, subway stuff, was men were afraid that their watches would stop working if they got on it because of all of the electricity that was going on and everything would just be thrown off and, and, and any kind of things that they had on them would be messed up uh, as they got on these, uh, these cars. There was a lot of fear and concern to think electricity is coming to my neighborhood. A lot of benefits, but serious concern as well. Well, as we think about uh, the book of Leviticus, um, those may be some helpful categories for us to think through. Remember, in the, during uh, the month of December, during Advent, we were t- taking a quick journey through the book of Exodus. And what God was doing was redeeming his people from Egypt so that he could dwell with them. And they encountered God in the wilderness as he appeared to them on the mountain. And do you remember what happened? There was thunder and lightning and loud trumpets. And the people were greatly afraid. There were limits put up around the mountain. And God said, you can't come close. If you do, you will die. And it said the people were greatly afraid and they got as far away from the mountain as they could. The message of the redemption in Egypt is not just that I'm saving you from the Egyptians, but that I'm moving into your neighborhood. Uh Uh-oh. This God is moving into our neighborhood? What's going to happen now? How can this one who's unapproachable all of a sudden be right in the middle of us? What is going to happen? How can this Holy One and us who struggle to obey and follow him, how can we live in the same neighborhood together? Is this going to work? We're fearful. We're concerned. God has just made this announcement. There's a lot of good that we can maybe see through this happening, but man, there is a lot that brings fear and concern. We will not make it long. What do we do? The answer to that is the book of Leviticus. God says he's moving into your neighborhood and this is how it's going to work. How the unapproachable can become approachable and how sinners can dwell in the midst of a holy God. So, let's begin our journey this morning and look in chapter 1 of the book of Leviticus. Follow along with me. Yahweh called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When any one of you brings an offering to Yahweh, you shall bring your offering of livestock from the herd or from the flock. If his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer a male without blemish. He shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting, that he may be accepted before Yahweh. He shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. 
He shall atone, or then he shall kill the bull before Yahweh, and Aaron's sons, the priests, shall bring the blood and throw the blood against the side of the altar that is at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Then he shall flay the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. And the sons of Aaron the priest shall put fire on the altar and arrange wood on the fire. And Aaron's sons, the priest, shall arrange the pieces, the head and the fat, on the wood that is on the fire on the altar. But its entrails and its legs he shall wash with water. And the priest shall burn all of it on the altar as a burnt offering, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to Yahweh. If his gift for a burnt offering is from the flock, from the sheep or goats, he shall bring a male without blemish. And he shall kill it on the north side of the altar before Yahweh. And Aaron's sons, the priest, shall throw its blood against the sides of the altar. And he shall cut it into pieces with its head and its fat. And the priest shall arrange them on the wood that is on the fire on the altar. But the entrails and legs he shall wash with water. And the priest shall offer all of it on the burnt and burn it on the altar. It is a burnt offering a food offering with a, a pleasing aroma to Yahweh. If his offering to the Lord is a burnt offering of birds, he shall bring his offering of turtle doves or pigeons, and the priest shall bring it to the altar and wring off its head and burn it on the altar. Its blood shall be drained out on the side of the altar. He shall remove its crop with its contents and cast it beside the altar on the east side in the place of ash for ashes. He shall tear it open by its wings, but shall not sever it completely. And the priest shall burn it on the altar, on the wood that is on the fire. It is a burnt offering, a food offering, with a pleasing aroma to Yahweh. Let's pray. Uh, Father, your, uh, your scripture uh, tells us that, that your word is, is life. It's nourishment and, and honey uh, on our lips. It's water to our our souls, but so distant from this type of stuff is hard for us to make sense of. We, we need you. This is your word. We're your people. You've promised to apply your word to the hearts and lives of your people. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask you to do that this morning. Um, we, we need you uh, and pray that you would uh, show us the grace and mercy of our God in Jesus from the book of Leviticus. In Christ's name, amen. So, over the, the next uh, few chapters, here at the, the beginning of, of Leviticus, uh, God is going to instruct Moses and the people on, uh, on several different types of offerings that they can bring. This is the first one. It's called the whole burnt offering. It would be a way to, to think about it. Um, but as we uh, we dive in, so, something to to consider. Remember our question: How is it God's moving into the neighborhood? How is this going to work? Well, first thing for us to see what Leviticus begins to teach us and show us is notice who it is that initiates this conversation. Who is it that is the one that speaks and provides? the way for God to be your neighbor. Notice in verse 1 and 2 what it tells us. Yahweh called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, Speak 
to the people of Israel and say to them, when any of you brings an offering to Yahweh, you shall bring your offering of livestock from the herd or from the flock. It's God's idea. God is the one who says, this is a very good question. You wonder how we will dwell together? Let me know. I want this to happen. The reason I've redeemed you is so that I can dwell in your midst. And this is going to be the way that I provide for you to be my people. For me to be living with you. Notice what it, this begins to tell us what he's providing for in uh, with the, the whole burnt offering. Notice in verse 2 what it says. When any of you brings an offering to Yahweh, you shall bring your offering of livestock. Uh, if we look more specifically at that word bring, uh, really uh, it, it's more communicating uh, an idea of bringing near. God's already saying there is a possibility that you can bring something near to me. Notice how he continues to, to emphasize this in, in verse 3. Where are you going to bring it? Well, you're going to bring it near, it tells us in verse 3, to the entrance of the tent of meeting. What is the tent of meeting? It's the house of the king that lives in the middle of his people as they're journeying through the wilderness to the promised land. This is God's house. God is saying, I'm providing a way for you to come Remember before, you couldn't even come to the base of the mountain. God's saying, I'm doing something special. I'm providing a way for you to come even closer. You can come up to the entrance, to the front door of my house. Well, what's going to happen there? What else is he, he providing in verse 3? What I'm providing for you will work in such a way, it tells us, that you may be accepted before Yahweh. You can come near. Not struck down. Not rejected. But accepted by me. This is what I'm trying to do. This is what I want you to see I'm doing. He goes on and tells us in verse 4 what will happen. Is that this offering that you bring will be accepted for you as atonement. As atonement. To uh, uh, bring and deal with your sin and make you and restore your relationship with God. A way for you to become near. Be able to come to the entrance of the tent of meeting. Be accepted. Make atonement. And notice, it repeated this over and over again. We can see it at, the, at verse 9 at the end of the section about um, if you're bringing some sort of cattle for offering. At the, uh, in verse uh, 13 at the end of uh, if you're bringing something from the flock or the herd. And then at the end of the, the section on the birds in verse 17. That it says what it will result is it will be a burnt offering, a food offering, a pleasing aroma to Yahweh. What I'm offering to you is a way for you to come near. A way for us to have fellowship and close interaction. For you to be accepted. For your sin to be dealt with. And for you to be pleasing to me. Who, who is this? This God. We're already beginning to see the grace and the mercy Leviticus opens up 
with our gracious God coming and providing for us. Verse 4, as it speaks of this idea of, of atonement, it says that, that what God is doing is He's saying, look, you know this, this offering, this burnt offering that you bring, either this, this bull or this male goat or male sheep or this bird that you bring, I'm going to accept it for you. It's going to be atonement for you. This, this idea of, uh, of atonement, there's a couple of ways, and we'll look at this more as we go through uh, the, the book of Leviticus. One simple way to, to think about it, if you look at the, the, the word atonement, at one meant. The result of atonement happening is that you will now be at one together in good fellowship with God. One idea of what is happening with atonement is that your sin is being dealt with. The, the, the bull or the, the goat or the sheep or the bird is being accepted for you. God is accepting a different payment. The idea is one of, of, of ransom. Um, well, is one way of think about it. Uh, if any of you have been to to college um, at any at any point, or maybe you're in it now, um, and uh, or you just you've not been to college, but you read the read the news and have heard that student loan debt is a significant struggle for many people. College is incredibly expensive. And even after you've paid for it, you may get out, or even after you've gotten out of school, this debt is looming over your head, you might not be able to get a job, or if you get a job, you're not getting paid enough to pay it back, and so you're just overwhelmed with this obligation you have to your creditor, whoever it might be, that what you owe them is this much money. Um, Now, you could go and, and say, hey... I'll, uh, how about if I give you uh, uh, 50 cents on the dollar? How about if I give you a penny on the dollar? Will you accept that? Because that's about all I can, I can muster at this point. Um, really, it, it's not your prerogative to, to do that. The only one who can offer to accept something, a, a lesser payment for the debt you owe, is the person to whom you, you owe the debt. Only the creditor can forgive your loan, can forgive your debt. And in fact, there are actually loan forgiveness opportunities and programs out there for college graduates. But not for everyone. Because remember, only the one to whom the debt is owed can agree to, and in His grace and His mercy, accept a lesser payment than what is owed. That is what is happening here with atonement. God is accepting something lesser than is owed to Him for our sin and rebellion against Him. Notice what it is that He's saying is being accepted. What the payment is. In verses 5, 11, and 15, if you look at the process of what's happening, that animal that is brought must be killed. Death is part of the payment that has to happen. Blood, from verse 5, 11, 15, blood that is taken from the animal and spread on the altar. Blood is a part of 
what must be shed as part of the payment that is there. And in verses 9 and 13 and 17, the emphasis here, this isn't going to be the case with other offerings, but specifically with the whole burnt offering, all of it is being burnt up. All of it is being destroyed and going up to God. So God is saying the payment that is necessary for your sin is death, blood being shed, and destruction. But guess what? The death, the bloodshed, and the destruction isn't you. It's a bull. It's a male goat. A ram. Or a bird. God, in His grace and His mercy, is saying, I will accept something less than is due me that you would be obliged to pay because of your rebellion. I'm accepting something less. What you actually deserve is the payment really should be your death, your blood, your destruction. But God in His gracious provision is accepting something less. Something else that that this communicates to us in this this passage as we think about whole burnt offerings. Um, These whole burnt offerings weren't for specific sins. We'll see this later as we go through uh, the book of Leviticus. Uh, um, there might be times where whole burnt offerings were, uh, were, uh, were brought for, for sin. Um, uh, but the, we'll see later there's a separate type of offering that's brought for specific particular sins. Here, the whole burnt offering is talking about general sinfulness. Remember, we saw some of this, and we'll look at it later. Back in Exodus, we'll see it later in Leviticus. The whole burnt offering was to happen every morning and every night in Israel and in the, when the people were, were moving around. There was always to be a whole burnt offering smoldering and burning before God uh, at all times, the smoke rising up. General sinfulness. God is saying you need atonement, not because you have committed a sin, but because you are sinful. It's something that is true about you. And actually, the reason you commit the individual sins is because of what is inside of you and that your character is one of being a sinner. This comes out in other places. Uh, The whole burnt offering we'll see in Leviticus and in other places in Scripture. Sometimes the whole burnt offering was brought as an exclamation point for our prayers. Times of great and deep petition and prayer and asking God to work on behalf of you or someone else, you would bring a whole burnt offering to to communicate and show, God, I am entrusting everything to you. Here is this whole animal that is burnt up before you. Another time would have been a a time of praise, great celebration for something God has done an answer to prayer or for who he is. You would bring a whole burnt offering. So whenever you would pray a deep, great petition or send praises to God, God is saying an appropriate response is to bring a whole burnt offering, which at the core of the whole burnt offering is this understanding that atonement has to be made. What is being said is that. Your praises, your prayers cannot come before your God 
unless atonement is made and your sin is dealt with. Your prayers do not impress God. Your praises do not impress or earn you any favor before Him. Your living a good life merits you nothing. The only thing God will accept to deal with and provide the way for you to be accepted and to come near is His provision. Something else dying in your place. Even your prayers and your praises need the atoning work of God's great provision. Wow. This paints a great and stark picture for us of our predicament. This is true of all of humanity. Every single person, if they are going to enter into the presence of God, regardless of how holy or pious or religious your actions are, Leviticus tells us you are dependent upon the grace and mercy of your God to make that way for you to come near. Well, what's what's required? What is required of us to come near to our God, to, to take advantage of this provision He's, he's given. Notice in verses 3, as it talks about a burnt offering from the herd. Verse 10, a burnt offering from the flock. Or verse 14, of birds. This is a costly sacrifice. We'll see this more significantly in other passages in, uh, uh, in Leviticus. But... God is providing the way, regardless of your socioeconomic class or how much you have, a way for this atonement to be made so that you can have access to Him. But these would have been costly sacrifices for anyone in any one of those brackets. A whole, unblemished male bull. Expensive. Costly. A goat a lamb, or even if you were one of the poor people within Israel, a bird would have been significant portion of your, uh, your goods to bring before your God. It's a costly sacrifice that is required. It tells us in verses 3 and verse 10 that it would have been, had to be without blemish. No, uh, no crooked legs, no bent ears, no patches and diseased animals would be good enough to bring to your holy, sovereign, redeeming king. It must be without blemish, which would have raised the cost of this sacrifice. Notice in verse 4, what would have been required is for you to actually acknowledge your own sin and your need for the atonement. Notice what it, it says. You shall lay your hand on the head of the burnt offering and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. You would have had to come up and actually lay your hands on this animal. You identifying with the one who is about to die in your place. Probably confessing and articulating your sin over the animal and your need for the atonement. But saying, I am a sinner. I deserve death. God, will you accept this in my place? Acknowledgement of our sin and our need. Notice in verse 5 and 11. In verse 5, as it goes through, it talks about the offerer bringing this offering to, to the, the entrance to the tent of meeting. And in verse 5 it says, Then he shall kill the bull before Yahweh. Later it talks about that same person 
cutting the animal up, slaying it and separating it into the pieces. This was not the priest. This was the person who brought the offering. You would have needed to kill the bull or the goat that you brought. You would have become face to face with the implications and impact your sin makes. Seeing how death had to come. And it's because of your sin that this animal is dying. Would have been part of coming to God like this. Notice then after that, the priest takes over. Anything associated with the altar, the touching that needed to go on up there, placing everything on there, the priest had to do that. You need what is required is a mediator. We are unable to do this on our own. Someone that God has placed in between you and him enters in on your behalf, placing this offering before God. We are desperate in need of a mediator. But also what we see is that encompassing all of this is faith. Faith in God's provision for your sin. This wasn't automatic. Just because I roll up, cut a goat's throat, touch my hand on it, cut it up, let some old fancy dressed guy in some white stuff put the pieces on the altar, Barbecue it up, boys. Let's go. That satisfies God. No. Faith. Faith in His provision. In fact, the rest of Scripture, God would come back seeking to apply these passages, saying, if you're just going through the motions, it means nothing. I'm not pleased. In fact, you bringing your offerings just like that, going through the motions, thinking that just doing it, earns or merits some sort of obligates me to forgive you, you're sadly mistaken. In fact, offerings brought like that are detestable to me. They're not pleasing. Your outward actions need to reflect your heart. Your heart should be engaged in this, trusting and relying on the good and gracious provision that God has given of saying, I'm giving, I'm going to accept this in your place. Coming humbly, realizing we don't deserve this. And who is the God like this who would give us this provision? Does any of this sound familiar? God in His grace provides an alternative, a substitute to die on your behalf In order to experience the benefits of that, you acknowledge your sin, resting and relying on the good and gracious provision of God for your sin. One dies in your place, and the result is your atonement, your forgiveness, your being pleased and being able to come near to God. If we've read the New Testament, or if you look very far in the New Testament, you'll realize this is, this is the way we relate to God now. The, some things never change. The God of Leviticus is the same God of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, who says, in my grace and in my mercy, I've made the provision of my son, Jesus 
to die in your place. Acknowledge your sin. In faith, by grace, through faith, rest and rely on His death, a costly sacrifice, one without blemish, the perfect man who died in your place, whose blood was shed, whose body was broken, that you would be delivered. And the result of looking and hoping in Him is that you were forgiven, that I'm pleased with you, and that we can have a relationship together. But there's, there's some differences, right? Anybody got blood on their hands this morning? When we prayed for Andrew, did we kill a bull, a goat, a bird? Other than Aaron, how many of you have killed an animal in the past month? If we were still on this pattern of things, by this morning, at bare minimum, 55 animals would have needed to die. Just counting the morning and evening offerings that would have needed to happen. That's not, in, not counting how many times we would have brought whole burnt offerings for deep petitions for prayer and praise and to honor and glorify our God. This, something's greatly and significantly changed. On our uh, street, there's just a couple blocks or a couple houses down from us there's a spot in the road that every time uh, the something is happening under the street, the it starts to sink and get deeper uh, in the in the asphalt. We have to ride our bikes around it, and especially after a rain, it fills up with a, a huge puddle. Well, Elizabeth City comes out. They set a cone up. A couple of days later, they come out. They dig up that section of road. They do something. And patch it up with more asphalt. Then a couple months go by, it starts to sink again. Fills up with water. They bring the cone out. They dig up the road. They patch it. We can ride over fine with our bikes. Then a couple of months later, the road starts sinking. They come up and dig it. They have to patch it. What do you think? How is that fix working? It's not. It's not sufficient to take care of the problem. You have to come out every couple of months and do this. I want to call him up and say, excuse me, I know you keep fixing this, but I don't think you're fixing it. Maybe there's a better solution out there because this is the way solutions work. You fix it once and it's done. The New Testament begins to talk about the sacrificial system. One thing that it says is it wasn't sufficient. Fifty-five times, every time you have to you sin, you must atone for your sin. Things must be done. Bull after bull after bull 
Sin after sin after sin. Death, death, atonement, 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 atonement. But now, now that Jesus has come, He's sufficiently fixed it. There is no more need for whole burnt offerings. There is no more need for a bull or for a goat or for a a, a bird to die in your place to atone for you. Jesus completed it once and for all. His death was sufficient. He fixed the sinking pit in the road and it will never again fall down. He has ultimately repaired it. The sufficient one. Everything that Leviticus was pointing to and hoping for was fulfilled in Jesus. Well, hold on. Does that then mean that that wasn't working back then? That God really wasn't atoning for their sin if they had to keep coming back and doing it over and over and over again? Actually, no. One way to think about it is like this. God knew and His perfect plan, what He was going to do, sending the sufficient payment for the debt and for the sin, Jesus was coming. What He's accepting all the way up to that point was checks. People were writing checks with these lambs and bulls and goats and birds. But God was accepting the check, His payment, but He wasn't cashing it. He wasn't going to cash the check until he knew all of the funds were in the account. Funds that he put there through the death of Jesus. So he was actually accepting. And those, those animals were actually atoning. Why? Because they were looking forward to the death of Jesus that would come and satisfy the, the debt and the payment. Our good and gracious God loves His people And He provides the way for them to be made right with Him. And now, in fact, in the New Testament, if we look, uh, and we'll close up with just these couple places. In verse 2 of Ephesians 5, Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. God, Jesus, is the fulfillment of of the whole burnt offering, of that fragrant aroma to God. In Hebrews chapter 10, uh, the author of Hebrews says it in this way. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. But, he goes on, uh, but we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus once and for all. The good news of the gospel that we see in Leviticus and that we see fulfilled in Jesus is that a gracious God provides Himself His death that we could dwell and have a restored relationship with Him. Let's pray. Father, we love You. We thank You for uh, Your provision, for 
the grace that you've given your people in Leviticus. We pray that as we see that fulfilled through what Christ has done for us, we would respond in worship, in dependence, and hope and trust in you. In Christ's name, amen.